Welcome to Authentic Influence with host Anthony Chansamuth, the show where we get real and share the stories and struggles, strategies and tactics of successful influencers and entrepreneurs so that you too can take action to create the life and business that you choose. And now over to Anthony. Welcome to Authentic Influence Live. It's Anthony Chansomuth from Simple Creative Marketing. And uh, today we are talking about value and how to improve your prices, how to raise your prices as a consultant. And uh, to talk about this really important topic, uh, one that I've personally had to deal with and still <laughs> I'm going through, uh, is my good friend Deb Zahn, uh, who is the CEO of Craft of Consulting through which she helps new and aspiring consultants start, build, and grow their consulting businesses and create the lives they dream of in less time. As a practicing consultant for 11, over 11 years, uh, she routinely brings in six and seven figures a year and has a steady, reliable pipeline of work. Now, if you want a bit of that, uh, stay <laughs> tuned. Uh, she has helped 65 plus new consultants fast track their success. Uh, and recently, Deb has helped a new consultant get their first contract with over $120,000 only three weeks after she started coaching them. Uh, Deb is also the host of the Craft of Consulting podcast, a great podcast, uh, where she and other cons successful consultants share their strategies and insights for building their consulting businesses and delighting their clients. Deb, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here. I can't wait to talk about this. Yeah, this is fantastic. Now, we were just talking briefly before uh, you jumped on here about your book. Um, you're writing a book. Tell us what the book is about. So the book is essentially the book I wish I had when I started consulting. It's a, If you think of it like a uh, field guide or survival guide to consulting. It's got the basics so that you can make the fundamental decisions you need to make, like your price and your pricing model, so that you're not wandering around in the wilderness on your own trying to figure out how to do this. You do what other successful consultants have done, and then you can be successful faster. So it really is the fast track to launching a successful consulting and sustainable consulting career, because I know, you know, consulting can be tough, especially if you've come from a place where, like me, you know, I spent almost a decade in a corporate career, um, you know, and, and, and familiar with uh, how it worked in that type of context. But then when you yeah. go out and launch your own business and everything's on the line because it's like I've got rent to pay or I've got a mortgage or I've got kids or I've got whatever it may be. Um, yeah. and, and i got to get those clients in the door because if I don't, I'm, I'm in trouble. Um, so so why, why did you start helping other consultants, Deb? So the, my short answer is I wanted to uh, stop suffering <laughs> because when I started, I was just kind of thrown into it and, you know, started doing consulting in the New York City market. Um, I was working at what was then a small firm. It's much bigger. And it was a market where we weren't well known doing type work that wasn't similar to what I did. And as a principal, I was required to go out and get business. And basically that was my job. And if I couldn't do it, I wasn't going to be successful there. And I didn't know how to do that. And so I floundered and I flopped around a whole bunch and inevitably because I talked to some more seasoned consultants, I, I did some trial and error and figured things out. 
what would inevitably happen is is the firm would bring in other you know rock stars i mean people who in their previous work world had been enormously successful and they suddenly would become a consultant and they would experience all the same things i did and invariably somebody at the firm would say oh you should talk to deb <laughs> deb will deb will help you figure that out and i enjoyed helping people so much that I really wanted to scale it. And so one of the ways that I could scale it is I have a business where I reach more people and I'm able to help a whole lot more people be successful faster and feel good about themselves again. I really like when the, the universe gives you a signal that you've got something <laughs> and people keep coming to you, right? Like, I mean, that's a great indicator yeah. for anyone listening to this and, and you're kind of wondering what should I be doing with my life or my career? Uh, and I've, I went, I've gone through that too, where I was back in the corporate days, I was the IT guy. Everyone would come to me and say, hey, how do I fix my computer and these sort of things? Um, and it's like at some point I was, it was frustrating for me because it was like, well, I don't, you know, I don't want to be doing that stuff. But then I realized actually people see value in it. Uh, and then when you can when when they're seeing value, it's easy for you to say, well, OK, well, why don't you pay me to do that? <laughs> right? Like, uh, yeah. yeah. And you can help more people. And that's, you know, my my feeling is consulting is as much a calling as it is anything else. And so it's about service. And if I can help more people bring their goodness into the world, I'm all about that. I love it. I love it. And I, I do, ever since we started talking, like, I could see that you have this very strong service uh, driven motivation. Um, and and where, where does that originate from? Is it because you went to church as a young girl? I would say I've always been a helper and uh, it's just, it's core to who I am. It's, and it's the only thing that I find true meaning is when you're helping, you know, others and consulting was a way that I could do that. And now helping consultants is a way I can do that. But it's the only thing I find satisfying. I, I have been offered very lucrative jobs where I could be making a whole heck of a lot more than what I'm making. And because that piece was missing, I had no interest. And because I paid attention to that, I knew what was important to me. And what's important is I, I got to be out there helping. That's so, so much self-awareness going on there. I love it. Um, what's the most common mistake you see when new consultants, with new consultants when they're trying to make their first start? Yeah. So the number one easy is lack of clarity and focus. So if you don't get clarity about what the fundamentals of your consulting business are going to be and then make deliberate decisions based on that, you're going to flounder more. And the main things that I think are the most important are your ideal client. So figuring out exactly who it is you want to serve so that you understand what they care about, what their pain points are, what things they aspire to, you know, what their frustrations are, what's getting in the way of them being successful, but really nailing down who you want to serve. Then being able with that to nail down what market do you want to do it in? And I always encourage at the beginning for most people, not all people, but for most folks at the beginning, is to have a niche so you have a foothold to get started on your business. And then ultimately those things lead to your value proposition. And your value proposition is basically how you articulate in really clear, compelling terms, what value you offer, who you offer it to, and, and essentially what's in it for them. What do they get out of it? I have seen so many consultants, new consultants skip that piece. I skipped it at the beginning because I didn't know I needed to do that. I thought I could just go out and 
you know, have drinks and, and tea with all of my network. And I would just say, hey, I'm available. And everybody would immediately know, oh, we should hire her for X, Y, and Z. I didn't do that work at the beginning. I see a lot of new consultants not do it. And what they don't understand is once you do it, everything gets easier after that. You know who to go talk to. You know what to say to them. You know what they care about. You know what they're willing to pay for. Everything you do after that to get business and to price it correctly gets easier once you have that focus and clarity. That's really fascinating. And I've, I've certainly gone through a similar journey with uh, making assumptions about what people think they like, what they think they know what you do and, and they don't. And, and because you, you know, you, you might put out a ton of content, you might, you know, uh, they might not have known you back in a time when you worked with them, you know, back in corporate or whatever it may be, and, and you've changed or you've evolved. And since then, and, and people still think of me as the IT guy, uh, <laughs> right. and like, I haven't done that for over a decade. Right. And, and not and you can't assume that everyone's following you on LinkedIn or, or on Facebook or wherever right. it is. Right. So so you kind of have to, you know, come back and go, oh, well, you know, by the way, I've made this update. I've changed. I'm doing this now. And I focus right. on I really like the three things you said. Right. Really understanding who it is that you, you serve, uh, what market that is and what, what niche um, specifically. And then what's the value you bring to them? And, and that part is where I spend a lot of my time, as you're aware, because I, I'm in the copywriting. That's what that's I right. do. And so I'm helping people really craft the message uh, behind that right so what is your value let's talk about value deb so um yes. pricing obviously has a relationship with value uh, should. So, <laughs> <laughs> so what, and, and you like to say you know your value is not your time so That's so right. can you tell us more about that and, and and how you arrived at that and how you help your clients really um yeah. tackle that yeah, it's, it's another one of those things where folks often default to assumptions that they have. And, and often when people first start consulting, they assume, oh, consultants, yeah, they charge hourly. And so without even recognizing that there are other pricing models, they often just pick that one. And then they try and figure out what a unit of their time is, is worth. And then they end up having conversations with prospective clients about what a unit of their time is worth. And the reality is, your value is far more than that. Your value is actually what it is that you can help clients achieve. And that's what they want to pay for, is they want to pay for the outcomes that you can actually help them get. If all you think about is, well, let's see, an hour, uh, let's see, when I used to work, my salary was this, and I worked this many hours, and let me do the math, and then I'm going to end up with some artificially deflated price because I'm not basing it on value, I'm basing it on what I've been paid before, or I'm basing it on, on my doubts and fears and my lack of confidence in my own self-worth, because I'm not thinking about my value for the client, I'm thinking about my worth. And then you end up with artificially deflated prices, as opposed to going through a process where you think very clearly about what those outcomes are worth to who you're serving, and then verify those assumptions in your market. And often what people do when they're picking the price is again, they don't base it on the value in the market. So what is it that people are willing to pay for those outcomes? They base it on all of that other stuff. They don't validate it in their market. And then they just have a price they have and maybe it's right and maybe it's not. And often it tends to be too low. Occasionally I've seen folks that overprice themselves and, <laughs> and have a little more confidence that they've earned but that's rare. It's usually where people will artificially deflate it and not because they've paid attention to 
what clients are willing to pay in their market for the outcome they want to achieve. That's a really good point, uh, just around validating against the market. How do you recommend consultants do that? Is that a case of really speaking to the client or is that market re competitor research and looking at what's going on uh, in, in, in that industry? Uh, what's your take on, on how do you arrive at what the market is willing to, to pay? Yeah, I, I generally advise people not to purchase, and I know you can purchase, you know, mar careful market analysis that are going to help pinpoint prices. I find those uh, a blunt instrument, and that's not necessarily going to be that useful. I think it is about um, doing some competitor analysis if you can. And if you can, by talking to people within your market, people who you already know and are going to be honest with you about who's paying for what, who they're paying to do what type of work for them, who's paying for things that are similar to what you can do, then you can get a range of the types of prices people are charging, how they're charging. So are they are they charging retainers? Are they doing value-based pricing? Are they doing flat fees? Are they doing a combination? And you get that information and now you have something to play with. And I do encourage folks, unless you have minimal experience in what you can do, in which case I generally suggest go get some more, <laughs> but is not to place yourself at the bottom of that pricing continuum. So let's say that you're going to be charging a retainer, because again, I don't want to default to hourly. Um, let's say you're going to be charging a retainer and you find out that, that here's the range. People are doing 5,000 a month all the way up to 15,000 a month. And you want to find out what is it that they're getting for those? And, pe and people most of the time will actually tell you. So I've asked other consultants. I've asked, you know, people in my market who have hired consultants before. And I get a feel for what that range is. And then I place myself within it. And it is rarely and never for me at the bottom end. Because if you end up saying, look, I'm going to compete on price. So everybody's kind of doing similar things, but I'm going to get work because I'm going to be the bargain. You now have a, you are now then going to develop your brand as the bargain basement <laughs> consultant and come to me because I'm cheap as opposed to thinking about how you can position yourself closer to the upper end of that continuum by making sure that you're able to actually help them achieve those results. You've got examples in your past of how you've helped contribute to those. You give them an excellent client experience, which people often really want to pay for because they've had bad experiences with consultants. But you think about how you can position yourself and how that value would be worth it at that upper end. And then you test it. You talk to a few people in the market. You say, here's the type of work I'm talking about doing. Here's who I'm talking about doing it for. In what market? Here's the prices, I'm, the pricing model and prices I'm thinking of. And get feedback from people who are going to be honest with you. Not people who are going to put you down. Not people who are going to be like, you're great. You, <laughs> you can charge anything. <laughs> Go to people who are going, who know your market and are going to tell you the truth. And then start to test it. So if you get in front of a prospective client and you say a price and they say, oh, yeah, that sounds great. And they say yes immediately. Chances are you're too low. <laughs> if, if they just jumped on it, chances are you've gone too low. And next time you might experience, experiment with saying a higher number. Um, or it could be that you say a price and, you know, the three folks you're talking to, it's well beyond what they're able to do, in which case you can think about 
or a different way to present the price. So you might offer uh, tiers of value and assign different prices to those different tiers of value, or you might adjust your price to be more in line with the market. But that's the type of market feedback that you want to get and you want to pay attention to so that you know that your price actually makes sense. I really like the um, testing of the price because you, you it's probably rare that you, you speak to the first prospect or the first potential client and you land on the pricing that's going to be the pricing that you have forever. Like it, it's your pricing will change and evolve as your experience, as you say, as your experience increases. Um, I, I was speaking to a consultant, a new consultant recently, and they, uh, they have this situation where they're still working under contract for a firm. Right. Yeah. Um, and so what they realized was the firm was charging, let's say it was $300,000 for an engagement with a, a government organization. Yeah. Uh, and this person works for the firm to deliver the, the, the work. Okay. And, and actually, essentially, the work that they're doing as a consultant on the side, you know, as their hustle, is the same work that they're doing for this firm. Yeah. Uh, and they're charging, you know, as the, freelance consultant they're charging twenty thousand dollars and and this person it clicked in their minds like oh my gosh i'm so underpriced um now now their concern is but how do i how do i increase my price when i'm new to the market as a as a consultant you know, as a freelance consult consultant right how how can is it possible to leverage the expertise that you have working for your yeah. previous companies um because the issue that, that this person was raising to me was, well, it's not easy. I can't just go to my current employer and say, can you guys be my testimonial and be my case study? <laughs> um, yeah. Because they're still under, you know, they're still working in, in, in an agreement together. So uh, any thoughts around that or a way, yeah. how would you tackle that? Yeah. So I've dealt with that myself personally. So I used to work at a firm and then I became an independent consultant and I, I charge what the firm charged. And I, I debated that because I thought, well, but are people paying for the firm or are people paying for me? And what I discovered, and as I talked to people in my market, they're paying for me. And so I had, you know, I had the brand of the consulting firm that was working behind me, but but I tended to be the person that got the work. Most of the clients wanted to work with not the firm, they wanted to work with me. And I was able to talk about those experiences. I said my price matter of factly, people were used to paying it. And I did not get any pushback from any of my clients and any of my new clients. And I was just on the phone with a potentially new client about a half an hour ago who pushed back on that because they were used to hearing that that's what Deb charges when you work with Deb. They didn't know about the sausage making behind the scenes in terms of what the firm got relative or and what I got. Sure. So and test it because the reality is, is for most folks who are worried about their price being too high. It's often not about the price. It is often about the mindset and the doubts and fears they have. And it tends to cause people to lower it. And actually the, the example of the person that got a six figure contract in their first three weeks, the first time we talked about price, cause I was coaching her, she, uh, we agreed on the price. It was a market that I knew, you know, we nailed it. This, this price actually makes sense given your experience in the market, et cetera. She, it was four o'clock in the afternoon. She, we got off the phone. She did whatever she did. She went to sleep. She woke up in the morning and lowered her price. <laughs> And, and I said, so I know nothing fundamentally changed in the market. 
did something happen to you and you suddenly can't provide the value that we talked about? And as we talked about it, it became really clear that this was old baggage she was carrying with her about being devalued in former you know, work environments and not feeling confident enough. And it came down to, I just don't think anyone will pay that for me. And she got proved wrong very, very quickly. But what we did is we changed strategy to make her feel a little bit better. So her first proposal that she gave to, the, to a prospective client we did a tiered approach because she wasn't confident doing the, the full number. And I said, then that's fine. Mm. So do three tiers. You give them the option. It's respectful and you'll feel more comfortable about it because you're not going to be worried about whether or not they're going to see sticker shock and they're going to think, who does, who does this lady think she is? And much to her surprise, they went for the top tier. Wow. <laughs> Shock. <And> full amount <laughs> that we talked about. <laughs> they didn't even blink. Like we had we had planned for how she was going to, you know, respond to various objections they might have. And it's not that those never come up. They do, but they didn't come up at all. And she needed to see that to have the confidence to know that the price she picked actually was perfectly fine. I picked up I picked up on something you said there. I love the story and, I, and that's amazing in result and well done as as the coach in that in that scenario. Um, you talked about uh, planning for objections. Let's talk a bit about objections um, and when you're having yeah. the, the conversation with the prospective client, um, how do you how do you recommend consultants do that? You know, when they're new um, and I've certainly made the mistake. I'm sure you have, where you've just weren't prepared for the objection and therefore it came and then you, you, maybe you went, Oh my gosh, I'm going to just discount the price. And, and that's, that's what you do. Or right. you know, <laughs> yes, and you're, more, you're more reactionary versus proactive. So um, how can right. we, right. how can we ensure that we don't do that uh, and, right. and make sure we, we, we have the, the better conversation? So the first thing is, is don't assume the objections and respond to them before <laughs> they're actually real. So that's where you don't, and I've seen this before where people will get in front of a client and because they suddenly feel insecure, they'll lower it before the client raise the potential client raises an objection. Or if the client asks about the price, not necessarily objection, just maybe asking about it, assuming that, Oh my gosh, it's too high. And they immediately lower it or giving the price and then uh, inserting doubt into it, like almost apologizing for it. So I've, see, I've exactly seen that quite a bit. So one thing is don't construct a reality that means you're going to end up with, with an artificially lower price. So that's one. But I always think about the objections ahead of time. So is there a reason why this, um, you know, might be, you know, something that they push back on and why do I think that is? And I think about my, what uh, my, response is going to be, but even more than that, I try and get ahead of it by emphasizing very clearly the value that they're going to get. And by asking questions that get them to not just intellectually think about how important this value is to them, but to emotionally experience it. So one of the questions that I ask is, what's the risk of not doing this work? And if you ask something like that, what you're, what you're asking is, you know, a straightforward question, but you're also asking an emotional question. And if they think through what the risks of not doing the work or what the rewards of doing that work is, then they, they start to get a feel and a taste for what the value is. And then the price is related to that value. The price is not related to 
you know, some abstract concept of, of hiring a consultant. So I try and get out ahead of that. I emphasize, I clarify the value as we're having the conversation. I make sure that they get value in that discovery call. So they get a taste of the goodness that they're going to get. And then if I think there's still objections, I actually think through how I'm going to respond to them. And the most important thing that I tell people is practice saying it out loud. So practice saying your price, because if the first time you are going to say it is under the pressure of being in front of a prospective client, you may default to lowering it. If the first time you respond to an objection is when you're under the pressure of, of this initial call with the prospective client, chances are you're going to stumble. So you almost want the muscle memory of saying it. Mm. And so it rolls off your tongue a lot more easily. And you don't have to think in that moment, oh my gosh, what am I going to say? Uh, I also am prepared to, if, if they really do have price limitations, what I will do is I will change the language and I will start to ask them about their budget. I no longer use the word price. I use the word budget <laughs> because now we're talking about their limitation and their limitation is not my limitation. So what I will do is I will ask them questions about their budget or any of their price sensitivities. And then based on that, I will tell them, we'll tell you what, we could think about a different scope that still gets you to here and let's talk through that. So what I'm signaling to them the whole time is that my price is my price. But what we can negotiate is we can negotiate the scope. They need something to negotiate. I can't, it's it's not satisfying to just say no. So I give them that something, then that something is the And that's a really, uh, that's a really powerful lesson there around shifting the conversation from focusing on just the price to what are the terms of the engagement um, right. and, and what is it, you know, it made me think of, uh, you know, when I started off with consulting around, like I was doing uh, content strategy sessions for people and, and these sort of things. And um, you, you sometimes I would get pushback and people saying, oh, you know, but I, I see this consultant charging this much or I can get this, you know, at, at half the price somewhere else or whatever it may be. And then it's, it's, it's like you say, it's coming back to, well, what's the objective here and what what is it? What's the what's the value of this to you? Or I like yeah. the emotional question you, you asked there as well. Um, cause when you can then switch over and it's almost you're, like you're flipping the conversation to, um, becoming that partner that actually looks at, Hey, how do we guide you to achieving the result that you want? And, you know, whether it's in, in, in a faster time frame, whether it's in a, in a, you know, in a more effective way, right. uh, whatever it is, right. So you're really eliciting in that, in that conversation, what's the motivator, um, and, and something that I've learned over the years is to also understand the individual that you're talking to because right. they have personal motivations um, beyond what they're doing for their companies um, sometimes it's about you know i just want more free time with my kids so i want this i want you know i want to be more healthier and if you can get to you know how does this impact your work but also how does it impact your your life that's uh, right now now we're into some real you know even if they walk away and say you know what i need to go think about it or, or this is not right for me they've gotten value from that conversation. hundred percent. Right? And that value is worth it in your market because people talk. And so I, I have had people who just couldn't afford my price and that's fine. I usually help them find somebody that they can work with. But by the time we get to a conversation about price, 
I want them to feel relieved, like someone finally gets me and somebody understands, you know, the situation we're working in. I want them to feel hungry to work with me. Um, so the the call that I just got off of with a prospective client that had been referred to me, you know, by the end of it, he was like, you're exactly who we want. We didn't end up having a conversation about price because he was more interested in fit. So mm -hmm. I stayed with that. Now it's possible that when I send something back, price might be an issue. I know that because I know what type of, of organization they are. So I'm likely, again, going to go into my toolbox and say, what's the best way to present this? that they get options that they can consider without me deflating my price. The other thing I would throw out that that is a big strategy for me is in, unless you have a very discreet offering that is always the same and it doesn't get adjusted for clients. And so you know what the price is and you say what that price is. But if you're if you're much more um, about what you do is, is customized even a bit to the potential client, I usually don't give a price on the discovery call. What I will say is, let me take all of this. Let me go back and map out what I think this, this could look like. I'm going to often I'll say, I'll give you some options to consider. And then, you know, that'll let me do a price tag. And often I've been pushed where they're like, oh, no, no, just ballpark it. And I won't do it. One, I'm horrible at math. So there's no reason I should be allowed to do math on the fly in any circumstance. But I actually don't because I don't want to say a number that somebody gets really attached to. And people get really attached to numbers like that. So if they push me, I will actually say, look, I'm horrible at math and I don't want to give you a price that's too high. So let me go back and figure it out. And that usually will, will get them to stop pressuring me. I love that. Like that's such a measured approach to a sales conversation where it is it, it's it's emotional right like because you're yeah. you're there going you know i want to be valued for what i do and on the other end they're there going i want to make sure i get value from right. the, the, the whoever i hire uh and and so it can be this and i felt that too where someone's just saying can you just tell me what the range is what's the price and and it's like no i can't because i need to actually assess what what it's going to take to to achieve the outcome for you uh the other part of this is uh just really understanding you know for your clients or prospective clients they don't really care about your journey like you know i've, I've had these conversations with say designers who who say oh you know like clients just don't get what we do and we pay you know thousands of dollars for all this software and all these other things and i said but yeah. that doesn't matter to the client they don't care that you've done you know 10 years of study to learn how to do whatever it is that you do really well um at the end of the day it just comes down to what's the problem that they want solved and and you know how can you solve it <laughs> right yeah and and do they trust that the journey that they're going to take with you leads them to the outcome and it's going to be an enjoyable journey and if folks can't afford it that's fine. We've talked about their budget. We know that, you know, I don't fall within their budget. And, and if I can connect them with someone that I do, but most of the time we can work something out that doesn't involve me lowering my price. And, and I didn't know that at the beginning. So actually when I first started, my rates were, it was all hourly and my rates were defined for me and they were significant rates. And I was insecure about it. I'm like, no one would pay that for me. I had the same problem. And so I couldn't, change the rate, but I could offer a discount. And so I offered like everybody a discount 
And I did that for a good long while. And then one time right at the beginning of the new year, I thought, why am I doing that? Why don't I do an experiment and just say, say the full rate and see what happens? And then if they come back and I decide a discount makes sense, I'll do that. Yeah. And it was perfectly fine. All of that was just chatter in my head. None of it was based on reality. You're listening to Authentic Influence. Learn the tips, strategies, and practices for taking your influence to the next level. Now, back to the show. Oh, gotta love the way our heads work. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of busy in here sometimes. What's okay now? That's fantastic. So, someone's listening to this and go, okay. Deb, got it. Really need to work on the pricing thing. Need to understand my objections and 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 plan that ahead of time. Now, how do I actually bring in, you know, steady, reliable pipeline of work? What steps can I take to make that, you know, so yeah, I'm not yeah. in this like one month I've got it's great, and then I'm, I'm I've got three months of nothing, and then oh, you know yeah. and I'm, I'm trying to like really maintain something that's sustainable. How do we go yeah. about bringing that pipeline? So the first thing is you have to embrace that you're in the business of consulting. So often what I see happen is people envision themselves as a consultant who has expertise, who's going to get paid for that expertise. And that's one part of of obviously what your value is that you're charging for. But you also have to be a savvy CEO. So you, you have to know from the beginning that your job is to generate a steady flow of income and to generate the income you want. So the first thing is, is like I said, get your basics, get your fundamentals right so that you can then actually know who do I need to go talk to and do what. And when folks are first starting off, so, you know, kind of the mix of what you do is going to change over time. So at this far, I'm, you know, 11 plus years into my consulting business. I get a ton of repeat and referred business. I have clients who come back to me, you know, have come back to me the entire time. So my mix is a little bit different, but when folks first start, generally what I encourage them to do is to emphasize outreach. Marketing is still really important, but I tend to emphasize outreach. I actually just did a podcast on this, which is, which hasn't come out yet, but essentially outreach being start with your network, and try and and work your own network and get access to the networks of the people in your network. And it's that direct outreach um, with clarity about what, you know, who you're trying to get business from and what you're trying to do for them and what the value of it is, is going to likely be some of your first clients. That'll usually be the first people in the door. And so what often happens is people rely on that And then that's when the dip comes, because after those engagements are over, they weren't looking ahead and saying, that's the short game. What do I need to be doing for the mid and the long term? So that's where the marketing piece comes in, you know, so further expanding your network and doing all of those things so you can do more and more outreach. But that's where the marketing piece comes in. So I never tell people to neglect that because the marketing is about building your future. Often it's longer lead times. So you actually have to start much earlier because what you're essentially doing is you're taking acquaintances and probably more strangers and trying to get them, you know, down a path to where they actually want to hire you. And that often takes some time to be able to do that. 
at the beginning, when you're reaching out to your network, you know you're going to reach out to people who are going to meet with you. They're going to be predisposed to already like you and trust you and all of the reasons that people hire folks. But at the same time, you have to be thinking about what the long game is. So the things that you do today can't just be about work that you want to get immediately. You have to constantly say, all right, these projects I have are going to end or these engagements are going to end at this. I am then in six months from now going to fall off of a work cliff. What do I need to do right now that is actually going to make sure that I've got um, folks that I'm cultivating that I can actually close deals before that so that I know I have a full pipeline? That's the deliberate strategy that people have to use to, to constantly be attending to their pipeline instead of getting a whole bunch of work, focusing on the fun part, right, which is doing the work. Mm -hmm. and then their head up and saying, oh my goodness, I don't have any work. You have to do that routine attention to your pipeline. That's how you keep it full. And you can learn strategies and techniques for getting business. I obviously teach a lot of those, but if you're not attending to your pipeline, you're going to have dips and valleys in it all the time. That's I <laughs> you know what it feels like. Uh, oh, actually. it was painful. It was a multi-year project. It was a ton of money. I, and I knew when it ended because I did the project plan mm -hmm. and I, the clock was ticking. I set the clock <laughs> and I still ignored it. And then suddenly I had no work. Yeah. Yeah. That's a tough place to be. Uh, I really resonate with that. Uh, you know, the work you've got. So that's really, I mean, you, you are project managing your own life, your own yeah, business yeah. here and you're working out. Okay. You know, you know, your timeframes, you know, when, certain engagements will will finish and certain ones will start uh but at the same time you need to allocate some time every every week every day whatever it may be yeah. to actually cultivate you know relationships uh check in with people you know where you're at have you got another project that you need work with whatever it may be um and and it can really be that simple uh we yeah. actually well, had you, said something, you said something golden that i want to highlight because that's like sure. it's it's doesn't sound jedi but it is <laughs> which is scheduling time, time blocking for when you're going to look at your pipeline and do business development. That sounds like an administrative choice and it's not. It's basically mm -hmm. you've set aside time to be the CEO of your business and make the decision you need to make because for a lot of people, that's not as fun as doing the work that you love to do. And you will often default to ignoring it until oh my gosh, <laughs> I just glanced, I'm going to run out of work in three months. And I know my typical lead time is six months to get business. So time blocking, I think is a magical thing to do and to do it regularly. Uh, I, I, I learned that the hard way. <laughs> yeah, I know, me too. You know, if you're wondering why your dollars aren't, you know, where it wants, where you want it to be, it's because you're probably not putting enough attention on that particular activity. Um, yeah. And that's what it is. So I want to talk, uh, just mention now, you know, you've been listening to Deb Zahn uh, from Craft of Consulting. We're talking about, you know, how to charge more as a consultant, how to actually build a sustainable practice uh, or a business. And um, Deb's got a free masterclass coming up which is top five things you must do to get consulting clients, which is a nice really next step from this conversation. Yeah. Uh, if you want to go and check that out, it's craft of the consulting craft of consulting.com forward slash masterclass, or you can just head over to craft of consulting.com uh, and reach out to Deb that way. Uh, she's also very active on Instagram and I love her Instagram posts. Oh, um, we're, we're, we're just 
two, you know, birds of a feather because just we are, and also your emails. Like I love the emails that Deb sends, and they're not all about consulting; they're actually about life. And, and um, something that that really resonates with me uh, is when you talk about uh, really just staying healthy and keeping a yeah. helpful mindset for your business. Can you elaborate about just why it's important to do that and how you do that? Yeah, because mindset, you know, which is your attitudes, your beliefs, your your habits of thinking. Um, your feelings get thrown in there too. It It's what drives choices in action. And once you know that, you know how important it is. So it's not just like whether or not you feel good. It actually will cause you to do and not do certain things. And so I know that I got to keep my baseline health, healthy. So that's sleep, food, exercise, you know, the, the basics to make sure that um, I'm ready to support a healthy mindset. And then I, I have to pay attention to it. And it's just like, you know, with anything else in your business, because it is, it is at the heart of whether or not you're going to make good choices, you have to pay attention to it. So if, if negative beliefs or habits of thinking start to pop up, like imposter syndrome or with pricing, it tends to be that lack of confidence and not feeling like you're worth it or your services are worth it to command an appropriate price or perceived scarcity where you're like, there's just not enough work out there. So, oh my gosh, I have to compete on price. If you see things like that popping up is to not get carried away with them. And instead, and the sort of technique that, that I use is sort of recognize like, oh, hello, that's a, <laughs> that's a belief or habit of thinking I'm having, or, or that might be anxiety that I'm feeling. And to recognize it and then essentially interrupt the story that it starts to spin and just investigate it a bit and say, do I think that that's really true? And if I'm not sure, how do I need to verify whether or not that's true? And so if you go into a spiral about your self-worth and that makes you not want to, you know, to charge an appropriate price, that's where going out and talking to people in your market is helpful. And then the last is that's where you're gathering evidence of what's actually true. So I sort of have this intervention on myself. Um you know, my husband's meditated for like 40 years. I probably should have started that 40 years ago. <laughs> that would have been really helpful. But at least I, I have enough self-reflection, which is a great tool to have as a consultant to recognize when those things are popping up and not just believe them, but work with them. And if I work with them, it doesn't necessarily get rid of them entirely but I can replace it with things that are actually true and I cannot give it the weight and the power that it's hungry for. You've touched upon something that's really powerful uh, just around uh, paying attention to your thoughts and, and, and yeah. the, the negative voices. Um, I think there's been research that's been done, you know, by meditators and, and, the, and people who are in that world. Um, and we tend to have much more negative thought than, than positive thought. Yeah. Um, and so, excuse me, being able to really understand and, and have a regular check-in or a process whereby you 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 know just reflect and, and think about what what's my mind saying today, um, you know. And I used to do I did a process once called um, morning pages, which is uh, oh I love those I've done those yeah 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 you wake up and you just stream a thought you just write for you know ten minutes thirty minutes an hour whatever it is you want to do but um, you just let whatever's on your mind just come out. Uh, because what happens is if you don't release that stuff, um, it just 
festers in your mind and then you yeah. know and and then it comes up in your client conversations it comes up in you know <laughs> these other places that's, yeah right that's when you you start to apologize for your price yeah it's to me you can't deal with things unless you surface them and so i've done automatic writing which is what you're describing i've also a technique that i really like is to do automatic writing but frame it as i think i feel i want so i'll start with the phrase i think do a whole bunch of automatic writing, see what pops up. And then the next thing I do is I feel. And then the next, the last one I do is I want. And that's when I start to, to be able to work with some of the negative things that might be trying to get a hold of me. And, and, you know, it doesn't, and I don't even have to be perfect with that because I can use perfectionism as a stick to beat myself with, with anything, including dealing with mindset. <laughs> I'm like, hmm, Deb, that kind of defeats the purpose of this work. So I have to be clear that I'm looking for improvement. I'm looking for feeling better and thinking better than I did when I started to get caught up in it. And that's good enough. And then I can go gather evidence of, of you know, good things I'm doing in the world. I love it. I love it. Great practice to have. Uh, I'm just bringing out for those who are watching the, the, the replay or watching this live, uh, I'm bringing up Deb's website, which is craftofconsulting.com. And I wanted to talk about your coaching program just for, for a couple of minutes here. Um, you've got a couple of different types of programs. So can you uh, take, take us through just the options that people have yeah. if they want to explore further with you? You bet. So coaching is something I do with only a small number of people at a time because I really try and give my all to the folks that I'm doing coaching with. So I typically with coaching, I'll work with someone three or six months, six tends to be typical. And we work on what it is they want to accomplish in their consulting business. And it's usually how they get started. So that's more of the intensive intensive coaching. So that's when we'll dig in, we'll help them, you know, I'll work with folks to help them to answer some of the fundamental questions and get their first clients and start to feel good about getting their first clients. And then occasionally I, I added the single session coaching because sometimes folks just have one problem. So someone reached out to me and they said, look, I, I've been consuming all your stuff. I love your stuff. But my problem is is the folks that I could reach out to for work who I know need my help are my friends. And I feel awkward about having a transactional conversation about, with them. Or somebody has a pricing question because they're not sure how to frame it within a proposal. And I wanted to give people the option of saying, look, I just need one shot, Let, help me solve one problem. So that's where the single, um, single session came from. And I like that because you're, you're, you're again, coming from the place of the prospective clients because some people want the single session others want the more intensive you know i work with you for a number of months whatever it may be um or maybe i'm working with a group and i know you have a group program so and i love this what's the difference between a leaper and a builder (laughs) (laughs) Um, i actually i i segmented sort of who i work with because that's how my brain works and so there's you know the leapers and the folks who are trying to build their business there's the growers and then there's also the balancers, the people who now have the robust business, but their life might be out of control and they need to balance things more. Oh, I know. I, I think I'm one of those people. Uh, so, <laughs> um, and then we now here's the part I want to really highlight. And because, you know, I'm being the, the guy that's talking all about case studies uh, is how you've really incorporated case studies into this landing page and into your sales process. Right. So um, talk about just the power of social proof or evidence, um, you know, in de- developing trust 
you know, before you get yeah. to the sales conversation, because we talked about, you know, pricing uh, and a big part of pricing is uh, you talked about having, what did you call it? You called it um, having confidence to actually, you know, to actually state what you're worth uh, or yeah. what your service is worth to someone else. Um, and a big part of that is actually being able to then, you know, bring to that conversation. Well, here's evidence that, you know, I've been able to do yeah. this for other people. Right. So, um, yeah. It's, so it's it's good for two purposes. And actually someone I coached who's on this page, uh, she actually keeps an Excel spreadsheet of good things that people say about her and about her work. And whenever she's feeling low, she goes back and she looks at it. But what I told her is, wait a minute, you can also use that to actually get business because now you have examples of the good things you've done with folks. So I think on your website, I think on any type of marketing, I think on social media, the, the person who I was just on a call with who's looking for some consulting assistance, I gave him very, I basically, you would have been proud of me. I did a case study live because he wanted to know where, you know, these are all the things that we're dealing with. Tell me when you've worked with someone and I ordered it just the way you talk about case studies. You would have been so proud of me. And those are the types of things where you can tell people all of these fabulous things about you, but it's a completely different thing if, if you can show results and you can show them that somebody else said that about you too. 1000%. I'm so glad, uh, you know, that, that you, you've been able to use that. Uh, and, and like when we start, we, we first talked on, on your podcast, like it was for me, uh, I know when I'm speaking to someone who gets it, like, it's just like, okay, it, it yeah. makes sense. Um, even in your introduction, like, here you go, you've got result, you know, increased customer base by 10%, revenue by 28%. Um, even in your, just your bio here, you've got, you know, we started off this episode by saying, you know, you help someone uh, generate a $120,000 contract. Um, like, that's just it's much easier for you once you have those case studies to then go and say to a prospective client, okay, well, this is what I know that I can do and yeah. I have done it. Right. And, and, and I yeah. automated this process to a degree. So when someone's done with coaching or one of my programs, they get something that's automated in my customer, you know, relationship management system. And it asks them, you know, for feedback because I want feedback because that makes me better but also ask them for a testimonial. They can upload a video, which I put that first because I'd rather have that. Yes. I realize I have to give guidelines behind that, which so I have to change it a bit. And, or they can give me a written one and, and give me permission to, to use it uh, in my marketing. And it, it, that's good because it doesn't rely on me feeling remembering, which is harder as I get older, or two. <laughs> Is actually, you know, feeling confident enough to reach out and say, hey, can you write something for how fabulous I am? Yeah, and that's a, such an important part there is how do you systemize it? How do you make sure that yeah. it's already built into your, uh, you know, your customer journey? Uh, and so when, when the engagement is complete, you have a, and I've seen different consultants do it in different ways. Sometimes it's just a feedback survey. Here's a feedback survey. And one of the questions is, you know, uh, are you okay giving us a testimonial or, um, you know, can you write you know what what you follow the engagement so it can be really that simple it doesn't have to be too complex yeah. uh, but of course we we love video and we we see the power of video um but in some circumstances it's not always that's right. what the client wants right yeah. so yeah that, that's fine um all right, we're going to wrap it up, Deb. This has been a, a wonderful, engaging conversation, as I knew it would be. Uh, and I'm going to have to bring you back. There's so much more we can expand on in terms of the world of consulting. Oh, yeah, we can. Um, and, and I do look forward to, to having you back on at, uh, 
in the new year uh, and we can go through some other different elements of, of you know building a consulting practice um final question and i actually learned this one from you uh, because this is the question <laughs> you asked me on your podcast uh is what's one thing that you're doing currently that helps with your mental health um one thing that i am doing is I designated time every single week that I call mom time because my mom is 81. She lives right up the road and get the picture of an 81 year old you have in your head, like gone, like this woman kayaks and bikes and she's just this amazing jock. And I, I needed the balance where I would be able to spend time with her when it's not all about doctor's appointments. And so I, designated time every single week, three hours on Wednesday mornings, dedicated to mom. And we do whatever we want to do together. It could be errands. It could be fun. It could be me fixing something in her house. But I did that. And it has, uh, it has had benefits far beyond what I imagine. And I did it without figuring it out first. I just said, it's important to me. I'm going to make this choice. And then everything else is logistics. And it has uh, enriched my life and enriched her lives in, in ways that I was even beyond what I thought. That's beautiful. Like, I, I just love what you said there where you just make the decision. Like, this is what I'm going to do. Yeah, it um, matters. Yeah, because it matters. Uh, beautiful way to wrap it up. We're going to just um, say one more time, Deb's got a free masterclass uh, happening real soon. And it's the top five things you must do to get consulting clients. Just head over to craftofconsulting.com forward slash masterclass. Uh, jump in on that. Uh, definitely something that uh, if you are looking to grow your consulting business or even launch a new one, um, then that's where uh, you're going to learn a lot more from Deb. Thanks for your time, Deb. You've been amazing. And, uh, Wonderful. Yeah. How many more words have you got left for the book or, or what's the plan there? Uh, I probably have another 60,000 more books. <clears throat> I think 10,000 is about 30 pages. So I talk about pricing for 30 pages by the end of it darn it you're going to charge a, a really good price <laughs> <laughs> love it fantastic all right everyone thank you for joining in and uh yes please leave a review uh share if you have any tips that you picked up from deb in this conversation uh share an instagram post a tweet a facebook post whatever and tag uh, craft of consulting or deb's on uh and, and let her know because i think you know as, as guests and, and hosts we love to hear from our listeners thank you, uh, thank you so much and everyone we'll see you real soon thanks again deb Thank you. Now, just quickly, if you want to check out the show notes for this episode, just head over to simplecreativemarketing.com forward slash podcast, uh, and you can grab all the links and things and resources on there. And also, if you are a conscious entrepreneur, got a professional services business, working B2B, uh, and you've got an interest in building influence and income through showing up, serving others, and being real, then I invite you to join my Authentic Influence Warriors Facebook group. Uh, if you want to do that, just head over to simplecreativemarketing.com forward slash community. Okay, thanks for joining in, and I'll see you on the next episode. for listening to the Authentic Influence podcast at AuthenticInfluence.co. 